You may be seated. So as we start today, I would love uh, to start with a question. I'm going to give you a few seconds to just think about it and to come up with an answer in your head and, um, and to give you a little bit of time because I think if we can uh, start with this question and the answer to it, we'll get to a place as we move through today. But the question is this, why do you go to church? So take a few seconds with that. So for the past uh, two weeks, we've been looking at what we say as a community about, the, the, about God to those uh, who are watching. And today I want to wrap this up by looking at the church at its formation shortly after the resurrection of Jesus. Because um, in the story that we're going to look about that was captured in Acts, we see a picture of the early church, about what the church looked like when it was first started, when 3,000 people came together, when people were added to their number daily. And they had figured out the reason why they do church. And I think if we can get back into the heart of this, we will say something to the world around us that it desperately needs to hear. So today we're going to be looking at Acts 2, verses 42 through 47. And you can follow along in your bulletin or your Bible or your phone if you have it. Uh, but hear these words from Acts. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. This is God's word. Now, what we read takes place right after Peter delivers the very first sermon, right after uh, the day of Pentecost, all these people were gathered together, and, and Peter shares this incredible sermon, the first part of Acts 2. If you get a chance later today to read it, um, it's a great picture of where they were coming from and the hope that was there. And we're told that after he gave this sermon, 3,000 people came to believe in Jesus. 3,000. I mean, it's just incredible. He didn't have any great screens or funny YouTube videos or personal illustrations. He just told an incredible truth and God used it. And people were so enamored with the message and God worked so much in their life that they started the church. He did something spectacular and the church was born that day. A church that was built on people and not programs. And the people that were around saw something so different about this community that was drawn together. You know, I think here at Summit, we do an especially good job with programs. We do a lot of really great things. In fact, this last week, we started a new environment for our families called Family Connect. And I just really had a great week thinking about our families drawn together in the room that was full and the conversations that I had with my kid. We create a lot of really great environments for people to come together in programs and doing them well is really important. But I wonder if when people look in from the outside at our church, do they see that we're a church that cares about people? When they look at church in general, do they see a place where people are of most importance? Or do they see a bunch of programs that are happening? And do they see why we do those? And at the very beginning of the church, uh, those who watched it knew it was all about people. And not just people individually, but people together, because the first church was characterized by togetherness. In verse 44, it says, all the believers were together and had everything in common. In verse 46, it says, every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, together together, together. There was a rhythm of together in there. 
You couldn't characterize the first church any other way because those who were the church were always together. They were either in the temple together in a kind of a large group setting or they were in each other's homes in a smaller setting. They were always together. In fact, it says they were together every day. These first Christians came together every single day and they couldn't get enough of each other. Uh, it seems that even regular life was seen as an interruption of the times that they were together. It kind of got in the way of their togetherness. They were characterized by togetherness, not just because it was something they did, but because of who they were. And I like to think that uh, we as a church enjoy being together, right? We get together in the morning. It was so fun this morning, especially when it was cooler out. We couldn't even barely get people into the first service. Like everyone wanted to stand outside the nice surf kiosk. We're drinking coffee. We love hanging out after service. We love going to things like the chili cook-off. We love being together. And it's great. And it's one of my things I love so much about every morning getting up and coming together with this church in particular. We just enjoy being with one another. But this togetherness is painted in the first church. Uh, it seems like something a little different. Though it had pieces of that, there was something even more going on behind it. Um, I'm sure some of you have been a part of churches where you have been guilted uh, about your attendance with people asking, why weren't you here last week? Or did you go to this thing? Or you should do this thing. And I hope we don't do that here. I'm sure we do, sorry. Um, I, and I feel like a lot of times I want to ask you, uh, oh, I missed you last week. And when I say that, I actually say that because I missed you last week and not because I'm trying to guilt you into that. But it's always one of those uh, lines I feel like you're towing across. But I hope it's not something we do here because we really do love our people here. And I, and I love being together with you. Um, but in this first church, you don't ever hear that tone. They didn't have to remind people to be together. They just wanted it. They wanted to be together every day. They wanted to be in each other's homes. They wanted to be in the temple together. They didn't have to say anything about it. They, they couldn't stop them from coming together. It was an incredible thing. Why? I, I imagine that there were times there where the weather was nice, much like it is here today. I imagine there were diversions, much like there are today. I think they had probably a lot of the same things that they could do as we do. They may not have had annual passes to Disney, but neither do I. But if you, you know, some of you do. And I'm jealous of your Instagram, that's all. Um, but they had some of the same challenges we had of getting together, but they still wanted to come together every single day. Now, before we start beating each ourselves up, I just want to say it didn't take long for them to forget this. 50 years later, uh, in the book of Hebrews, we already see a movement happening and they have to be reminded to be together. It says in Hebrews 10, 24 to 25, and let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day approaching. So they had already had kind of forgotten this part. So it's a pretty a normal movement for us to forget this. But if we find ourselves lacking the desire for the kind of togetherness that characterized the first Christians, maybe the solution for us is to look and engage or re-engage what the first church was. And we're going to do that today. We're going to look at this section in Acts 2. We're going to ask three questions. Who came together? What did they do together? And why they came together? The who, what, why of this passage. When the church started, it didn't subtly introduce new people. It wasn't a slow addition. It says that 3,000 people exploded into a new church. Something amazing happened. So all of these different people come together, came together right away. And it was not a normal Jerusalem crowd that Peter preached the gospel to. It wasn't people that you might expect to have come together. It wasn't just temple goers. It wasn't just the religious people. In Acts 2, in verse 5, it points out that every nation under heaven was represented. In fact, there's a really great list that goes through all of the different cultures and people that were drawn together in this first picture. And I love that they get into such a detail about it because it paints this picture that they were so different. And yet God did something in a movement that happened amongst them. So you've got people who had nothing in common. Uh, there was no common culture or common personality or even a common language. Uh, we see that in the beginning. They all heard the same voice, but they had different languages. There were so many barriers that divided these people and walls that could have been up. And yet they're immediately in each other's homes every night, and you couldn't keep them apart. 
Um, let's think about that in our own current context here, 2016 America. Uh, wouldn't a community like that be so attractive right now? Um, I don't know about you, um, but for me, I feel like this has been a really tiring season. Uh, it's, it's hard. It's hard to feel so isolated and separated all the time. We, every commercial that's on seems to draw us farther apart um, racially, politically, economically, every news story and everything going on. And it seems to be a lot of that was happening at that time as well. I mean, again, the list was drawn there. But in this day and age where we're so divided, where I, I, a lot of times I can't even figure out how to start a conversation with people about any of this, and we just are tired, and, but our hearts yearn for togetherness. There's something intrinsically wired in every single one of us that wants unity and togetherness, and when we feel the separation so greatly in the midst of this, um, there's something that reminds us of who we were created to be. Togetherness in the midst of great diversity is really hard. And I think that's what Kaylee uh, spoke about last week, if you were here. She talked about how hard it is, yet how important it is to be bonded together with a common purpose. How hard it is to live in the tension of diversity. But guys, here's the incredible thing. It actually happened. In Acts 2, we're given a story that this happened in a culture not so different than ours. And in fact, with lines that may have been even harder to cross because of the season that they were in, because of, of the cultures they came from, the countries, and the things that separated them, they came together. What we're all longing for actually happened in Acts 2. People far more divided than us came together. They were in each other's homes. They couldn't get enough of each other. If we find ourselves uh, without the zeal of those early Christians, the desire for togetherness like they had, maybe it's because we've surrounded ourselves with people who are too much like us. Maybe there was something in the midst of all of these people coming together with different stories. They found out more of who they were by the inclusion of people that had different stories than them. Maybe they learned something by finding out that there were people that had the same needs and the same struggles, that they were bonded across the same Jesus who brought them together. Maybe what those watching found attractive about the early church is the same thing those of us who have been inside the church for a while need to see and take part in again to have a rekindled zeal for church. Uh, there are parts of us and others that are still unknown and unseen because every member of our family isn't here yet. We're not done yet. The church is not complete yet. We're still missing pieces of our family. Um, question the thing about, do you have people in your life that the gospel has brought you in the close connection with that before you wouldn't have had anything to do with or people that were so different than you that the gospel has brought the, you closer together? I think it's a really good question to think about it, and it's one that's okay if you say no, but I think it's one that should trigger some thoughts. Like, are there people that when you look around in your life that because of Jesus were able to cross over lines and get to know each other? I know as I've thought about that question and wrestled with it over the last couple of weeks, um, the community where I most feel that is, um, is Young Life Capernaum. It's a ministry I'm involved with, with teenagers with disabilities. And we are separated by a number of things. One, quite a few years. Um, they don't know that I'm that much older than them because I might lie to them from time to time. I don't, I don't. But they let them guess. And when they say age is younger than me, I don't correct them. Um, so we're divided by a number of years. Uh, we're divided by our socioeconomic background sometimes. We're divided by the kind of families we grew up in. We're divided by our physical and mental abilities. We're divided by a lot of things. There's a lot in that community where if we were just to be on the street together, it may not happen. But something happens when we come together and we're united around Jesus. We're drawn together in a different way, and it's a reason why my family runs to it every month, and why when camp comes up, we're there, and why we continue to be part of this community, because it's not always easy. 
Um, it's not the videos that where you cry all the time. There's a lot of hard work that goes into being a part of a community like that. There's a lot of frustration both on their part and mine. There's a lot of them trying to communicate with me and putting up with my inability to understand what they say. And a lot of times where they put up with my impatience because dad mode comes out from time to time because at the end of the day, they're still kids and they have to do things that they may not want to do all the time. And sometimes I have to learn uh, to be patient in the midst of all the needs that they have. But something happens because we're so different, yet we come and we come to the feet of Jesus together and we're created together by the same loving God for the same purpose. And in the midst of that community, something incredible happens. And we're drawn together through that. I also think of a time, one of my favorite times in um, our friend's life, if many of you are probably like me and you're raised to not talk about the three taboo subjects, uh, money, religion, and politics. Um, you know, those are the things you're not supposed to talk about at work or share with others because it might offend people. And I remember one day we were doing um, a study together, financial study, and we were at a barbecue and our friends and I were talking about our faith and we were talking about our politics and we were talking about our money and we didn't all agree and it was okay because we agreed that we loved each other because of Jesus. And we were able to talk openly and share about where we were in our life. And we didn't have to pretend to be something we weren't. And we were able to love each other in the place where we should be able to have those conversations. But the place where we should be able to be the most different and yet united together should be within church. And in those places, I have felt that. I've been able to experience that. And I continue to run back to those places because they do challenge me at my core. To those watching, especially uh, right now during this election, if we were to kind of display that kind of love for one another, we're able to join together around a common purpose, even though we're so different, it would be so attractive and it will be attractive as we keep working on it. So we know who came together, everyone. Every type of person came together. So what did they do when they came together? What was the things, what were the things that happened when they met together as a community? Now we're gonna flesh this out more fully. Starting next week, we're gonna start a four-week series where we talk about the rhythms and the life of the community. What were the things that they did repeatedly? Jim Keller is gonna kick us off next week. And we're gonna spend some weeks looking at this, but I wanna spend a little bit of time today looking at this in this passage in Acts 2.42 through 47 of what they did. And I love it because it's really simple. They did four things. Verse 42. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayer. Essentially, they would do what we say we want our connect groups to do. They learn together, they serve together, and they worship together. This is not a, a magic trick that this happened. We went back and looked at Acts and read the Bible and came up with words for our connect groups because we wanted to deal with the early community of the church. It's what we do as part of our vision as a church. We want to be as closely aligned with what the hope of the church was and how we do that, but living it out in our context today. Essentially, they would do this over and over again, whether they met together in large group or small group. So first, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. Everything was built around studying God's word. They were talking about it, debating it, applying it. It doesn't mean that they always agreed with each other, but they kept coming together around it because they knew in a world that was constantly bombarding them with lies, they could hear truth. Uh, one of my favorite things I get to do is from time to time, I'm invited uh, to come to Connect Group. Some of our uh, groups that meet and uh, a group invited me Monday. In fact, they're all sitting together, which is so awesome. And I've just been on a high spending time with this group Monday. It's one of my highlights to be able to see people coming together and talking about the Bible together and getting into God's word and disagreeing sometimes and coming back together and going, how do we figure this out? How do we apply it to our lives? And this group has been doing that. And I commend all of you for continuing to do that. It's not easy. And you guys know this, that do this regularly. And it happens in our Connect Group all across and it happens on Sunday morning when we try to apply God's word to our life it's not easy because oftentimes it comes in conflict with who we are or sometimes we don't know how to process that and do it and I love that you guys continue to find that out and you keep coming back together and loving each other well through it it's an incredible image of God 
So if you lack the desire for togetherness, when was the last time you discussed God's word with others? Uh, if it's been a while, or if you're not in a place where you're doing that, maybe your next right step is to get involved with a connect group and to talk about God with others. Maybe it's to get into a Bible study. Maybe it's to do something where you're having this time to discuss and apply it to your life. We have opportunities here. Uh, there's a new connect group starting next Sunday during this service during the 11 o'clock. It's going to be meeting, and you're invited. If you want more information, uh, you can stop by the info booth, hit us up online. Uh, we would love to get you plugged in. There's existing groups that are meeting, and it could be a great way for you to get into a group where this is happening and you're applying it in your life. Secondly, they were devoted to fellowship, uh, which is a really churchy word. It's not one that we used much. But as we look at this, as I look in this passage, uh, we see it displayed in their relationships built on serving one another and others. They served each other through fellowship. They bore each other's burdens. They were honest about themselves and their struggles. Uh, the gospel, this good news that God came for us in the midst of what we were doing and saved us and gave us an, an offer of new life, uh, it frees us to uh, tell the truth about ourselves. We no longer are defined by our performance. We no longer have to make people believe we have it all together. Uh, we can tell the truth. And something we'll continue to say here is your story told truthfully is good news to others. And when you learn your story and when you're able to share your story and when you're able to embrace your story, it lets God shine through it. It's an amazing thing. Uh, they were able, like Kaylee said in the first week of this series, to tell the worst about themselves because they knew it displayed the best about God. If you lack the desire for togetherness, uh, when was the last time you shared your story with someone? When was the last time you received someone's story and heard them? Um, starting next week, next Sunday, Zach Van Dyke, one of our teaching ministers, is going to be here leading a class called Reconstructing Evangelism. It's going to be during the 9 o'clock service. Uh, you can sign up online. And in that process, it's a, it's a class about how do we share our faith with others? How do we invite people in to our community? And in it, we learn how to share our stories. And that's a big step. If you've never done that, maybe this is your next right step to get into this class and to sign up and learn how to share your story truthfully and how that can be a gift to others and be inviting to them. And if that is, we would love to get you connected. Come find us. Go to summitconnect.org. You can sign up. But it wasn't just about meeting spiritual and emotional needs. They also served through meeting each other's physical needs as well as the needs of those around them. Togetherness spurred them on to generosity. And what I love, it didn't just spur them on to generosity internally. There was something about when they were together that also made them look outside of themselves. I think that's key because if, when you look at it, it would have been really easy to say that they just take care of themselves, but no, they started looking, how could they serve the community around them? And that's our heart at Summit as well. How do we bring the redemption to the world that's around us? Verse 45, it says, selling their possessions and goods, they gave to everyone as they had need. So if you lack the desire for togetherness, maybe your next right step is to start serving. I know they can always use more help in base camp, this incredible environment where we tell kids the good news about God. In just a couple of weeks, we have nice service. It could be a great way to sign up. If there's not those opportunities, if pay attention to the things that make your heart beat fast and get involved with them. Let us help you. Sometimes serving is the thing that brings you back to togetherness. I often hear people say they want to wait until they're plugged into a community before they start serving, or they want to make sure they're settled somewhere before they start serving because that's when they'll be ready. But oftentimes I think the truth is when we start serving is when we become connected to a community. When we start giving of ourselves is a thing that lights us up and gets us up in the morning and draws us together with the other people and we feel more rooted. So if that's one of the places, maybe your next right step is to start serving. We would love to help you do that. There are ministries, incredible things going on all over our city where we would love to help you get plugged in. Third, and maybe my most favorite, they shared meals together. Um, it's no secret that I, I love food and meals. And it, but when I really think about it, it's not so much the food, although it's good and chili's going to be delicious later today. Did I mention chili? Um, but I don't really love to eat food by myself. I don't crave going out and getting a meal. Like That's where you go through the drive-thru, right? Or you hit Subway or something like that. It's just it's sustenance. I love meals. 
I love sitting down at a table with other people and getting to know them. There's something that happens when you share a meal with them. There's something intimate that happens when you invite people into your life, when you hear their stories. Some of my favorite times are sitting down with someone I don't know and getting to know more about their life. There's just a connection that happens in the midst of that. Um, when I think about my favorite meal, I have a very clear picture of what that is. Um, but I, honestly, I can't tell you exactly what we ate because the food was very secondary to the meal that was there. Several years ago, I was in Italy and we were doing a camp for kids. And uh, after it was done, we were doing a little traveling. So I ended up in Florence. I'd never really traveled um, alone in Europe. And um, so it just showed up, showed up at a train station, didn't know how to find a room and met this guy, Chris. Uh, we ended up finding a place to stay. We found out about this cellar restaurant and we ended up getting in line. We go eat there and we were seated at a table with a couple other people that we didn't know. And that doesn't happen very often, right? Where you sit with people you don't know for a meal together. So there's already kind of that moment you're wondering what the night's gonna be like. You don't know anything about it. And I remember the, the owner walked over to the table. He's like, well, what do, you, what do you guys wanna have to drink? Do you want water? Do you want wine? And we're like, ah. he said, the, water's, or the wine is free, but you pay for the water. We're like, well, this seems like a good start to our evening. Um, <laughs> And he said, what do you want for your pasta? We're like, I don't know. He's like, well, let me bring you all of it. And there's like five kinds of pasta show. What kind of appetizer do you, I don't know. He just brought everything. What about meat? Do you want chicken? Do you want beef? Do you want, and we're like, we don't know everything. And the night just continued on. And as the night went on, we were sharing our stories. And this guy, Chris, who I had met a couple hours before, we found out all these things about our lives. We met the people that were sitting across from us. And we heard these stories. And I remember the, the, the night continued on after the meal was done. We continued walking around Florence and spending time with one another. Um, as it happens, this was before it was really easy to stay too much in touch on Facebook and whatnot. Um, Chris, his name is Chris Christmas. That's a real name. Some of you guys know him. He actually spoke at one of our 60-minute seminars a couple years ago. Uh, Chris ended up moving to Orlando. He was in Ohio at the time. And we ran into each other a few years later at a premiere of like a Star Wars movie at Disney. And this relationship that had started at a table around uh, with nobody knowing each other in Italy continued on to a relationship that continued on here. And we still stay in touch to this day. Something happens when you share meals with people you don't know, when you invite people into the table with you. And this early church did that. They continued to meet in each other's homes and to share meals with each other. So if you lacked a desire for togetherness, when's the last time you shared a meal with someone you didn't know very well? When was the last time you opened your home or your table or you met someone you didn't know, someone you didn't need anything from that wasn't a sales call or it wasn't a time we had to do it? When was the last time you shared a meal and got to know someone? Maybe that's your next right step. Maybe it's going to the chili cook-off today and intentionally sitting across from someone at a picnic table and just getting to know them. I mean, you've already got a ton in common with these people. You go to church together. Maybe it's a different time and maybe you run in a different circle, but maybe it's a chance to get to know someone. I, I know stories from just a year ago that have continued on to this day because people ate a meal together and they got to know one another and they're serving each other and doing life together. So I'd invite you to consider doing that. Although the Chili Cook-Off is a really fun thing, it's also a really intentional thing we do as a chance to get together for togetherness, to be around the table together, to break bread with one another. But they didn't just break bread and meals. They didn't just do uh, dinner together. They also broke bread in the Lord's Supper and prayed with one another. They worshiped together. This is a core part of their identity as they continue to meet with one another. I love in um, the New Living Translation, it says the sharing of meals, including the Lord's Supper and of prayer. It talks about what they would do together, that they had this worship as a part of their life. If you lack a, a desire for togetherness, when was the last time you were reminded that the Son of God was broken for you and not just for you, but for all of us? When was the last time you put yourself at the feet of Jesus and were reminded that a good and loving God came to rescue us. Maybe that's your next right step, is to get in front of him and to be reminded that he is the one who brings us together 
and that none of us start in a place too far from him and that none of us are so off limits from the grace of God that we can meet together and that none of us in this room are so different from one another that we can't unite around the common purpose of Jesus. So there was learning and serving and worshiping. There was always learning from the word of God. There was always serving the emotional, spiritual, and physical needs of others. And there was always worship. And they did it in both small groups at homes and they did it in the large group of the temples. And as they did these things, we're told the church grew. Every day, people were at it because people saw what was happening. People watched this community form and they wanted to be a part of it. They wanted to be part of something that was open to anyone, no matter what, no matter their race, no matter their family status, no matter their past sins, no matter the community they came from. They wanted to be part of the community that loved so counter to selfishness, that was humble and generous. But I think what was most intriguing to those on the outside was not who came together or even what they did together. I think those things were really interesting for the people that were inside. But for those who were looking outside, it was how they came together. We're told the first Christians were in awe. They were praising God with sincere and glad hearts. When Peter preached the first sermon, we're told the people were cut to the heart and they asked, what should we do? And Peter said, repent and believe in Jesus and you will receive the Holy Spirit. You will be given new life. People who were watching saw new life and they wanted it. And that is our hope for why we do this together, that people would look at our community at seven and they would see new life. They would see new life lived in all the ways that we express new life and that they would want it, that they would see that there's no place that's too far away to start that God offers new life to every one of us. They saw new life and they wanted it so desperately and their numbers grew every day. You and I, every single one of us have been created as worshipers. Everything we do somehow in some way expresses worship of something or someone. Uh, These people that had come together in the early church had found the true object of their worship. Finally, after everything else they had tried, they found what they were created for. They discovered that every breath, every thought, Every word and every deed was to be shaped by the worship of God, praising God, being in awe of God. Awe is meant to keep us safe. It's meant to make us humble, to motivate us to be moral, to draw us to seek grace, which we desperately need on a daily basis, to convince us to live for something bigger than ourselves. Awe is meant to get you up in the morning to live for something bigger than ourselves. Awe is meant to give you rest at night. Awe is meant to remind us that our hope is not found in what we achieve, or possess, but in a God who loves us enough to be broken for us, that we don't have to do enough that he already has. Do you have the awe of God in your heart? Are you in awe? Did you wake up this morning expecting something to happen when you walked through these doors? Did you wake up yesterday expecting God to show up in your life? Did you have the awe of God? And if we don't, how can we possibly expect to pass it on to a world that's watching around us? Much less the children who are sitting in the room just around the corner. How are we going to pass this on to those around us who desperately need to know that there is a big loving God who desperately loves them and wants to know them and to be in awe of him? So if we've lost this awe of God, how do we get it back? Togetherness. Hebrews 10, 24 through 25. And let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day approaching. If we've lost our awe together, we need to come together. It's a circular route. Togetherness comes from the awe of God, but the awe of God comes from togetherness. It all works together. We pursue a friendship with someone whom the only thing we have in common is Jesus so that we get a glimpse of how wide is the kingdom of God. We study God's word together. We learn together. We serve together. We worship together. I show up every week 
Every Sunday when I come here, I come expecting to see God working through your lives and to be reminded that God is who he says he is. I'm wired that way. I'm wired to see it in relationship. I'm wired to see God in people. And every week when I come, I'm never disappointed. No matter how I woke up that morning, no matter the fear I went to bed with last night, no matter the anxiety that started earlier in the week, no matter how good or how far away I felt from God in that week or in that moment, I show up expecting to see him. And every week, God shows up through the lives of you. We hear it in the stories of Cheryl at 33rd. We hear it in the stories that come out of base camp. We see it and I hear it as you draw in together. We point to a God who loves us and you continue to remind me of that every week. And that's one of our jobs we do together as we meet together. C.S. Lewis had a really interesting thing to say about aesthetics. Lewis said, I think we delight to praise what we enjoy because the praise not merely expresses, but completes the enjoyment. It is its appointed consummation. It is not out of compliment that lovers keep on telling one another how beautiful they are. The delight is incomplete until it is expressed. C.S. Lewis is telling us why when we hear a song we like, or we see a beautiful work of art, or we see a movie that we really love, or a YouTube video that makes us laugh so hard, our first instinct is to say, hey, come here, look at this. You've got to see this thing. We complete our joy when we praise the object that has brought us joy. And that's what happens when we get together. That's why we have to get there, why we need to continue meeting with one another. We come together to say to one another, look at this, look at him, look at the one who saved us. Remind me of how beautiful that was. Remind me of how much I need that. And our awe and our beauty is expressed when we say that to one another. And that's why I do what I do when I see something beautiful. I want you to see it too. And that's why we do church is to continue to point one another to this. Are you in awe of God? You have the awe of God in your heart. Do you desire togetherness? The early church grew by 3,000. People were added daily and they were in awe of God. There wasn't a magic video. There wasn't a great plan. It was a simple act of being together and living in awe of God. He had cut them to the heart and worked through their lives. They drew together when they heard these words from Peter's sermon. And maybe today we need to be reminded of this good news, the good news of who Jesus is. So I'm going to share with you the end of Peter's sermon from Acts 2. And again, I'd encourage you, if you have some time today, to read the whole thing at the beginning of Acts 2, but I'm going to give you this part here. Acts 2.32. God has raised this Jesus to life, and we are all witnesses of it. Exalted to the right hand of God, he has received from the Father the promised Holy Spirit and has poured out what you now see and hear. For David did not ascend to heaven, and yet he said, The Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet. Therefore, let all Israel be assured of this. God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Messiah. When the people heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the other apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? Peter replied, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. The promise is for you and your children and for all who are far off, for all whom the Lord our God will call. And then it continued in 42, and then they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayer.